Hello, everyone, and welcome in to another episode of Bracket Madness. We are here on Wednesday, March 11th, four days away from Selection Sunday. We've already got teams punching official tickets to the NCAA tournament. The major conference uh, tournaments are just getting underway. ACC has kicked off. A few more kick off on Wednesday. Uh, most of them will be underway uh, by the uh, by Thursday, and uh, we've got a whole lot of tickets to be punched the rest of the week and over the weekend here. Some of those teams know they're going dancing. Maybe they're playing for seeding. Some of them don't know just yet if they're going to be in and out. All will know by Sunday, and that's what we're going to focus on in this episode of Bracket Madness. I am joined by a couple of guys. First up, our uh, Bracket Guru, Brian Bennett. Brian, how's everything going for you so far this week? Uh, it's been easy, a little too easy. There hasn't really been a lot of upsets uh, in the conference tournament, so I'm ready for some real madness to begin. Yeah, hopefully the big conference tournaments will bring the drama because the smaller ones have been awfully chalky. Joining us as well, our bubble guru, Eamon Brennan. Eamon, you feeling the same way as Brian, that this week's been a little bit too easy so far? Yeah, it's been pretty straightforward. There hasn't been a need to um, you know, sort of recount the bubble or shrink the spots or anything like that. So it's it's been pretty standard standard stuff, and we'll see how um, how things progress this week. Yeah, definitely. The uh, big conference tournaments are uh, are the ones that could end up providing us with a little bit of that drama, especially with some of the uncertainty in these leagues. But we're going to start with those smaller ones, with uh, with so many of them having uh, already been wrapped up, and so many of those teams uh, having already earned their bids to the dance. Uh, this is this is frequently where we can see uh, bid thieves uh, coming from these leagues, leagues that have a uh, dominant team in the regular season that plays its way onto the bubble, losing in its conference tournament, and then that team uh, still getting in via an at-large bid. We haven't really had that. A ton of chalk, even in leagues where uh, the the regular season champ probably wouldn't have been on the at-large radar had it lost. Those teams are securing those automatic bids, which I think you know maybe is going to be good for the tournament, that we're getting the best of those leagues. The one team that does stand out is Northern Iowa as potentially uh, still being on the at-large radar. Uh, Eamon, you have them playing the waiting game. Brian, you have them as one of your uh, first four out, I believe. Uh, we're going to start with you. Next four out, actually. Next four out. Next yeah. four out. All right, Brian, let's start with you here. I mean, next four out, nothing really to do uh, the rest of the week except for play that waiting game. Uh, do you really think there's any hope for them to get in? I don't, uh, unless there's just uh, some sentiment among the committee to put in a really good mid-major. You know, there's a way you can lose in your conference tournament and still get in as a very good mid-major, but the way not to do that is to lose to the number eight seed by 21 points in your first game of the conference tournament. I mean, that that pretty much made the decision for the committee, in my view, especially the way Northern Iowa had played down the stretch. Uh, they just hadn't played that well. And then we're talking about a team now with, with one quad, one win, three quad, three losses. I just don't see it. You know, I, I – I think they uh, they only have themselves to blame for you know losing to, to a Drake team they they beat by twenty seven you know less than a week earlier. Yeah, Eamon, I'm gonna throw a different question to you then. With Northern Iowa looking uh, pretty bleak for the tournament and likely having to settle for an NIT bid, where do we look for bid thieves the rest of this week? Is it gonna have to be a surprise team in a power conference making a run, something like you know Minnesota going on a dream run in the Big Ten and earning its way in? Yeah, probably. I mean, you could maybe think about the Atlantic 10 as a as a possibility if someone that's not Richmond or George Washington or George Washington. <clears throat> not uh, Richmond or Rhode Island rather. And obviously Dayton wins that tournament then. You know, I I don't think I think we're looking at probably a two bid 
uh, league with Richmond being the second at-large bid. And I think that's it's still possible for them to get an at-large bid if they lose in the tournament somewhere along the way. Someone beats Dayton in the in the title game, let's say. there You could get a bid thief there. You could get one potentially in the American, but it seems a little bit less likely to me given the stratification of those teams. Although a team like UConn has been playing really well down the stretch, that sort of thing. So um, there are possibilities there, but it's not... You know, there there are just not as many teams now. The, the tournaments we were looking at were really the ones that started over the weekend. Places like the WCC, um, although the WC the WCC has kind of been engineered to not produce bid thieves. The way they buy their best teams into mm-hmm. the second and third rounds. And if you're Northern Iowa, you're probably sitting there looking at Gonzaga having like a quadruple buy, basically into the semifinals of their conference tournament, and thinking. Why doesn't the Valley do something like this? <laughs> we're the best team in the, all season, and we're rewarded with a first-round bye and then the eight seed in Drake. Well, granted, a team they should have beaten and have beaten this season by a considerable margin. But playing like the noon game on the first real day of the tournament is never, you know, everyone. We've we've all been in those games where uh, upsets happen because the energy's weird and no one's shooting well, and everyone's kind of nervous. And the next thing you know, you're losing and your season's over. So. Um, I feel a little bit bad for Northern Iowa and the way their tournament's set up when you see some of the other tournaments, particularly the West Coast Conference, designed there so that one of the two or three best teams is almost certainly going to get to the NCAA tournament or get the automatic bid at the end of the day. Yeah, what do you guys think about that? Uh, another one that jumps out to me that really does that, and I feel like was one of the first ones to do that, is the Ohio Valley. Uh, so as, a, as an example, this year, Belmont, uh, the team that won the regular season in that league, was the one seed in the Ohio Valley tournament. They didn't have to play till the semifinals, and this is a, a, a league that has eight teams in its tournament. So if you were Tennessee State, you had to win four games to win the championship. If you were Belmont or Murray State, the top two seeds, all you had to do was win two games. Um, I totally see the argument for it, for these leagues wanting to get their best team into the tournament, uh, but uh, it definitely makes things easier for them. Would you guys like to see that in other leagues? Would you like to see more leagues adopt that for the sake of having a stronger NCAA tournament? Well, I, I would, and, and I wouldn't even mind if, if certain teams didn't even make the conference tournament. I, I've never really quite understood why if a team finishes – eighth or ninth uh, all season long is nowhere near the title why they get a chance to get hot for one weekend and make the tournament it just doesn't make a lot of sense and and uh, there should be some some reward for being uh, consistent and being a champion other than just getting getting a high seed and you know the only drawback to some of those uh, buys into the semifinals and whatnot is you know you're sitting around for a few days while other teams have have already kind of broken a sweat and gotten used to the atmosphere and and uh, sometimes you see those teams get off to slow starts because they've just been sitting around waiting but um, you know I, I understand it's a cash grab for the most part uh, these tournaments uh, but but some of them just just don't make a lot of sense in terms of what's best for the actual league and the actual teams yeah it's it is. It's it's always been it's one of those things where I feel like when I first started writing about college basketball, I like felt like I had this big light bulb moment of like, you know, well, the you know, the English soccer leagues or European soccer leagues, they just do points. And then at the end of the regular season, you like we don't need playoffs. You don't need a tournament like just figure out who the best team is over the largest sample size. And aren't I smart? And like conference tournaments administrators or conference administrators are like, how do you think we make literally any money all year? It's it's the conference tournament, dude. Um, so yeah, that's I mean that's why they exist. And 
I agree with Brian in in theory also like at you know some of the lower level teams or or some of the worst teams in the league why are you even there but again these conference administrators school administrators like that idea would be so anathema to them that everyone in the league wouldn't have a chance to participate in the tournament just on a on a basic fairness sort of we're all in this conference together type of thing that that you do get at that sort of mid-major low-major level um there's just no chance of that ever happening but I think a good compromise is, is what the West Coast Conference, or as you mentioned, the Ohio Valley, have come up with in that you look at the Valley and what Northern Iowa had to do. And, you know, granted, they, they weren't like uh, so dominant, but they were clearly the best team in the Valley. And they lost some games along the way, but they were the best throughout the course of what, an 18-game season, which is a pretty long period of time. And they're the number one seed, and they still have to basically play the same tournament as as almost everyone else, except the worst, you know, the the four worst teams in the bracket. And that's a tough thing to do. It's a tough thing to win three games in three days, even if you are the best team and you're you're inherently advantaged because of your talent level and skill. It's just a difficult thing to do. And people have off nights, and teams get hot at weird times of the season. And I do think it makes sense if you're a mid-major league that wants to give everyone a shot to say, okay, if you finish 10th in the league, then you got to win four games. If you didn't, you have to win two. And, and you know, if you're, if you're the best team in the league, we want to get you to the NCAA tournament. You got to finish the job yourself, but you only have to win two games to do it. I think that's a great compromise between the two sort of competing um, issues that we're talking about here. Yeah, or, I would definitely, or, I was say, or you could be like the Ivy league and just do a four team tournament and then cancel it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That works too. Um, but yeah, I would definitely like to see more teams, uh, more leagues. I mean, go that route. It would be something to protect uh, those teams. So Loyola too, uh, right? A, the comfortable number two team in the Valley go down uh, before the championship game, also. So uh, the Missouri Valley, the only uh, the only conference that has gotten topsy turvy on us thus far. We'll see what the big conferences have to offer in the back half of this week. Uh, let's look at the let's look at those bubble teams. Let's consider those bubble teams now with uh, with the bid thief discussion out of the way. Uh, we've got uh, sixteen teams uh, that we talk about. Uh, in this you know bubble area all season right not the same 16 but last four buys last four in first four out next four out these are teams that or these are terms that have become very familiar to us and sort of uh do a good job of encompassing the bubble even though we know there are other teams in the mix so I want to start this with three teams that uh even in your bubble watch you have as uh should be in I believe, uh, and Brian, you have as last four buys. So you guys are basically on the same page with these three teams. We'll just want to check the box on them as they get ready to start their conference tournaments. We were talking about Indiana, Oklahoma, and Texas Tech. So let's start with Indiana. Uh, their first game in the Big Ten tournament is against lowly Nebraska. If they win that game, they move on to play Penn State. Let's say uh, the worst-case scenario is obviously they lose to Nebraska, but let's just say they beat Nebraska – Lose to Penn State. I'll start with you on this one, Brian. Is is uh, Indiana in the tournament with that Big Ten big Big Ten tournament performance? Well, I really don't want to get Archie Miller mad at me, but whatever I say, <laughs> yeah, here. he really doesn't like bracketology. Apparently, um, I I think they're going to be okay if they they beat Nebraska. Uh, again, I have them as my last number ten seed, so a couple spots away from that first four. Um, I think if they lose, maybe they're in the first four. Uh, of course, it all depends on, on what happens elsewhere. Uh, but I think they have enough good wins uh, to get in the tournament, even though they haven't done a whole lot 
you know, away from home. You still got that Florida State win in their back pocket. That's a good one. Um, and and just, I don't know that there's teams that are good enough to overtake them uh, unless we do see some bid thieves or we see some teams like at NC State, like a Texas, like a Richmond, really, you know, strengthen their case. Uh, I just don't know there's enough good teams to overtake them right now and keep them out of the tournament. Yeah, for me, I think this is a bad draw for Indiana, right? Because mm-hmm. if they were playing a team that was, you know, basically any other team in the Big Ten besides Nebraska or Northwestern, um, you, you would think maybe even potentially a loss, they might still sneak in. But a loss to Nebraska would be would be pretty devastating. So um, then it would get really really interesting. But Indiana to me has always been a team. You know, I, and I have buddies I've written about in the Bubble Watch repeatedly who made a bet. I you know I went to Indiana full disclosure. So I have friends who text about it more regularly than they do most college basketball teams. Sometimes I have to remind them to look at other resumes because they're only familiar <laughs> with Indiana's. Um, but you know, the, I had two friends who made a bet about this uh, a while back. I think it was after the Michigan loss, one bet that they wouldn't get in the tournament, the other one bet that they would, and there's a carve-out apparently for the first four um, so that the, the one doesn't have to pay if they're in the first four. But the it's been going back and forth between these guys for weeks, and I've just been sitting there being like, they're going to get in the tournament. Like, they're going to get in the tournament. Their road record's bad, um, and I do think it would help to get at least a win, another win on a neutral floor in the Big Ten tournament. Um, but mostly they just need to not lose to Nebraska, and I think they're – they're basically where they've been for the past, you know, two, three, four weeks now, which is not overwhelmingly good, but no bad losses and probably going to get into the field as a, a nine or a 10 seed. You're really sound, surrounded by a lot of Big Ten love in this uh, in this show, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I was on the Big Ten blog at ESPN forever, so I, I'm used to it. <laughs> All right, yeah, Indiana, I'm, I'm with you guys. I'm on the same page here. I think they avoid the bad loss to Nebraska. They go in. Obviously, they can remove any doubt if they win that and then move on and beat Penn State. And, hey, get to play these uh, these games in Indianapolis. So a neutral floor as far as the committee's concerned, but uh, should be plenty of Hoosier fans at the Big Ten tournament all week long. Um, the Big 12 teams have a little bit of a different story because they start uh, and they hit. They have to hit the ground running, right? Right off the bat, they've got uh, some tournament-quality teams to play. Oklahoma plays West Virginia in its first Big 12 tourney game. Texas Tech and Texas meet, and uh, Texas is a team we'll talk about a little bit later, but I want to look at it more from the lens of Texas Tech. Uh, Eamon, we'll start with you on this one. Um, Oklahoma and Texas Tech, uh, are, do we feel like they're fine almost no matter what happens in these games? Uh, neither is going to get what would be a bad loss if they do lose their first game. I think obviously they're both uh, unquestionably fine if they win these first games, but worst case scenario, they lose. Do we think either one of these teams is in trouble? Maybe Texas Tech, just because Texas isn't quite what West Virginia is in terms of you know, I feel like a loss to West Virginia. Granted, West Virginia has been good down the back half of the season here, and we've talked about that before. But, you know, a loss to West Virginia on a neutral floor is not the end of the world, right? And I think it kind of is the one of the – you put it on your team sheet, and I don't know if the committee even notices it at the end of the day when they're looking at you. It's just sort of, oh, yeah, you lost to West Virginia, whatever. West Virginia's good. I think Texas doesn't quite fit that description and would be a bit more impactful. And you, then, you st- again, you start to look at – Texas Tech's resume, their over, overall number of wins and losses, and it's not looking quite as good as what you would expect from a Texas Tech team with their sort of efficiency metrics. Um, you know, being 18 and 14 and a, a theoretically a top 20, top 25 team in terms of net rating, 
um, is a little incongruous, and I think the committee would have a much longer look and would also probably be a little bit suspect of five straight losses to end the season, even though they don't take, you know, the idea is not to take any um, late season sort of trends into account. I think it's a human thing to do to sort of uh, appraise this team as not being as good as maybe we would have thought three or four weeks ago. But it's hard for me to see them missing the tournament. I think both, again, are should be in for good reason. I think it would take kind of a freak occurrence some way or another for, for that to happen. But the fact that Texas Tech is even in that position in the first place to me is what's surprising because you look at their net rating and you look at sort of how they've played for most of the season. Like, I think they're a good team, but their resume just hasn't hasn't gotten there particularly down the stretch. And so they are in this sort of weird limbo position at the moment. Boy, Texas Tech, that is a team, I think you're right, I mean, the committee's going to have to spend a long time looking at this team. It's it's so strange. I mean, 22nd in the net today, despite being, you know, 18 and 13. Uh, another good example of uh, <laughs> a reason why the net needs some tweaks, because uh, there's really nothing on here to scream that this is the 22nd best team in the country. But then you look at some of their other metrics. KPI, they're 64, strength of record 56th, Sagarin 40th. Then they're 20th in BPI and 21st in Kempom. So uh, obviously the efficiency numbers are helping them there. Uh, the more resu- results-oriented uh, metrics don't even think they're necessarily a, a tournament team. Uh, they do have the win on a neutral against Louisville. They play a lot of close games. Uh, of, co- of course, the, the game against Baylor, the game against Kentucky. Uh, but they haven't really won, it, won a lot of them. If they lose uh, to Texas, they can be 3-11 and 11, uh, in quad one. And uh, I don't know. That's an 18-14 and 14. <laughs> I wouldn't feel real secure. I would say that much. And and maybe this is a first four team. Yeah. And I was going to jump in really quick on Texas tech too. You know, people struggle and I do too, for sure. Sometimes, because we don't know what all is in the net. Like we we have um, the bare bones of it, but we don't know exactly how everything sort of interacts and, and what matters. And I think a fixture that's really um, frustrated people this year is, teams that have net ratings that have had them for a long time, it feels like, and and everything that's happened in the last month or two of the season hasn't affected them as much as you might think. Mm-hmm. Texas Tech definitely fits this category. Arizona definitely fits this category. Yeah. Um, and West Virginia. I, West Virginia is a great one, too, where the losses, the, the results don't seem to matter as much. I think for Texas Tech, it's important for people to keep in mind, they did lose to Kentucky by two. They lost at Kansas by three. And that's the sort of stuff that the net – takes into account it takes into account not just did you lose on the road to kansas which is all well and good and the rpi would have registered okay you lost on the road to kansas they take into the fact that you were a bucket away from a win or or going into overtime at kansas and i think that's a good thing i think we should have a metric that keeps track of that sort of stuff how good you actually are on a per possession basis that's what the net's doing it may be weighted a little too heavily toward that direction at the moment and you might want to get a little bit more results emphasis in there i don't disagree with that but for, for people to understand why why is texas tech hanging around in the top 25 of the net it's because when they have lost games by and large including at baylor and ot by three points that doesn't hurt your net rating it's not going to because you should be losing those games by more and and if you're not good you can't hang that's the idea anyway yeah, I just want to throw in, too, that if we were using the old RPI system, well, thank God we're not, because it was horrible, but they're 73rd. <laughs> yeah, yes. And I don't think anyone thinks Texas – I think tech, I think most people, reasonable people, would say Texas Tech is much closer to the 20th best team in the country than they are to the 70th. Sure. Right? So mm-hmm. and they may not – I don't think they're the 20th best team in the country, but they're a lot closer to that than they are to what the RPI would have had them 
had them add. So again, for people who are frustrated with the net this year, and I I totally get it because you expect to see more movement in these numbers as you go along. The where we are right now is a vastly better place than we would have been two years ago. Trust me. Absolutely. That is 100% true. And uh, hey, Texas Tech, Texas, that's going to be one of the big early games in these big power conference tournaments. So definitely one you are going to want to saddle up and watch if you can. Um, let's look at these last four in and first four out teams. Uh, for the last four in, Brian, coming into today, you've got Xavier, Stanford, Cincinnati, and Wichita State. You've been angling so hard for those two Cincinnati teams to go to Dayton. And so you've got that right now it's with Xavier and Cincinnati in the first four. First four out, NC State, Texas, Richmond, and Arkansas. This group of eight teams uh, has been in this range for a long time now. How firm do we feel like that cut line is with Wichita State being the, the last team in, 68th team into the field, and NC State being the first team out? I think that top seven is probably your bubble, mostly. I mean, that's mostly your cut line. Okay. Uh, Arkansas being the, the fourth one out. It's a little bit of an outlier. I mean, Arkansas is... Uh, the number 11 seed in the SEC tournament. I mean, it's it's kind of hard to think you go from the number 11 seed in, in a weak SEC uh, to the to the tournament. And in fact, uh, they've got a, a bad draw as well. You know, playing Vanderbilt and then South Carolina potentially in your first two games, not really going to do much uh, for their resume. So they probably have to make a run all the way to the title game at the very least uh, to really get serious consideration. I think so. I think those first seven teams, um, especially Richmond. You know, if they get to the A10 title game, they'll have um, 26 wins. Uh, that's gonna and a win over. Sorry, Michael, a win over Wisconsin. Uh, but right. uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I think this is this is what I'm, I'll be watching them the most closely in this next couple of days. Is, is these teams in their first couple rounds of these tournaments? Uh, I think a loss in the first round could could knock a couple of these teams out. Yeah, even from the bubble perspective, when you're when you're considering, I mean, you you still keep it very comprehensive going into these last few days of the season leading up to Selection Sunday. So you've got some teams on here with work to do that probably have a whole lot of work to do. So are, do you get that same read as the cut line being uh, sort of where Brian said that there's a divide between Richmond as his third team out and Arkansas as the fourth? Yeah, totally. I mean, I think we've had a we've talked about this in the past with here and and both and I think in both of our um our columns they're not really columns are they features whatever you want to call bracket watch <laughs> and bubble watch uh crosses to bear the <laughs> <There you go. laughs> uh the the huge gap between teams that feel like they're right in the mix on the bubble and then a, a bunch of them off it and yeah in, in bubble watch we keep those teams on because you know, they're at least sort of in the mix. I mean, Memphis was on the page until last week, for for God's sake. Um, and they're, you know, they weren't particularly close to getting back actually in the field. But, um, yeah, I mean, we, you know, you see strange things happen at conference tournaments. You see teams go on deep runs. And, and um, I think that that's totally an accurate portrayal of where the bubble is right now is that, you know, NC State, Texas, Richmond, those feel like teams that could be in the field. Um, and, and Arkansas to me right now does not, it feels like it belongs to a cluster of, uh, you know, imagine on a piece of paper, those three teams, and then like an empty space for four or five inches and then Arkansas and then, you know, Mississippi state and whoever else you want to put down that line. That's kind of where they're at. And I think they are the kind of team that yes, as an 11 seed in the sec tournament, you got to go on a run. You got to make a run. And and we talked about Isaiah Joe's injury 
And I thought they were an interesting case when he came back because they started winning again. And all five of those losses in a row were, were when he was out, and that synced up really nicely. And that's kind of a convenient thing for the committee in, in how they take uh, injuries into account. But now that they've lost a couple games with him back in the lineup, it's sort of like, okay, this is – we kind of have an idea of what Arkansas are, um, and, and they feel slotted correctly there on Brian's bracket. And I feel like they have to make – they have a ton of work to do as opposed to Richmond, just don't – don't take a bad loss. Win a game over Rhode Island. You know Texas. Just do decently well. You might get in the field. Arkansas has got to really put put some serious work together. All right. Well, let's talk about the work that these teams have to do. Let's wrap it up by looking at these teams. We're going to focus this on the top. I don't think we need to get too deep into a team that you still have as work to do, like St. Louis. We know what sort of work this team has to do. It's a whole lot. But let's look at the top, mo- mostly focusing on those first seven teams. We'll go a little beyond them as well. So right now, Wednesday morning. Got 33 locks, uh, seven teams listed as should be in in the bubble watch, 22 one-bid leagues, assuming that Northern Iowa is going to have to uh, go and try to be the NIT champion. So that is 62 spots spoken for. That means we have six spots left in the field. And again, just said, it feels like those seven teams, Xavier, Stanford, Cincy, Wichita, NC State, Texas, and Richmond, make up the real bubble, of course, things could happen. We could have, uh, like you say, uh, a UConn making a run in the American and knocking someone out. Maybe uh, Minnesota finally puts together its very best basketball for five straight games and miraculously wins the Big Ten, knocks someone else out. Those things, of course, are still on the table. But for the sake of this conversation, we basically have to evaluate these teams in a vacuum. So we're going to say with X number of wins, this team can wake up on Selection Sunday and feel good. Uh, The first team, a team that we actually haven't mentioned just yet, is UCLA. Uh, They play the Cal Stanford winner on Thursday. If they win that game, most likely they get Arizona State or Colorado on Friday. Can they just take care of business against Cal or Stanford and feel good on Selection Sunday? Uh, Brian, we'll start with you here. If it's Cal, I'm not sure that's going to make much difference. Um, If it's UCLA, Stanford, uh, well, I think Eamon and I might have to make a couple of cocktails and watch that one because that would could be a could be a play-in game. Who knows? But uh, yeah, I think UCLA. You know, obviously we talked about it. Just a fascinating case. We've never really seen a team quite like this. You know, eighteen and twelve. If they lose to Cal, I don't think they're going to make the tournament. But uh, if they get to get to that Stanford game, even if they lose it, shoot, they'll be eighteen and thirteen, six quad one wins. Uh, I, I don't know what the committee's going to do with them. Honestly, it's it's uh, it's really hard to say. It may depend on how they look. It may depend on just what the committee values this year. Um, it's going to be super super close. Um, and I am so excited for this Pac-12 tournament because it's going to be nutty as as, as could possibly be. Yeah, agreed. Uh, I think I don't really know what to do with UCLA, and I don't know what the committee's going to do with UCLA. I think if they beat Cal. Um, then it's kind of a toss-up for me. I think if they lose to Cal, Brian's right. They're not going to get in. I think what I was what I was just thinking of listening to, to Brian talk about, about what the committee is going to value, it's going to be really interesting to see on Selection Sunday if Providence's seed is revealed first, then where they're seeded, like how high they're seeded, is going to tell, you know, if UCLA fans are still waiting to figure out if they're on the bubble on Sunday, Keep an eye out for Providence because Providence is another team that started horribly in the non-conference, right? Lost three quad three games and also one in quad four um, and then made a torrid run through their through their conference and, and picked up a bunch of quality wins. I think they have seven quad one wins now before the start of the Big East tournament. Providence is in the field. They're not a bubble team anymore, 
but they have a very sort of similar, they're like the rich man's UCLA in terms of resume. And it, I think it's going to be really interesting to see on Selection Sunday, if you're unsure of where UCLA is and Providence comes in as like a 10 seed, then that's not looking good for the Bruins. But if they're like an eight seed, then if you're a UCLA fan, you, you, you'll be sitting there thinking, okay, I think we're going we're gonna to be in this bracket before all is said and done. With that in mind, can we just say thank God that they're sticking with the region-by-region reveal on Sunday and not uh, trying to go back to the experiment they did a few years ago <laughs> with the, you know, the one seed, and then uh, that was, I mean, it was just terrible, right? The region-by-region region is the only way to do this thing. I, I think I would as start always with the N- go ahead. I was going to say, as always with the NCAA tournament, when in doubt, just leave it be. Yes. Exactly. The one thing in the in the world that's not broken. If they did that again, I think I would start a riot. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, how, how about Xavier, guys? Uh, another team that we just talked about. Last four in. Uh, they've got DePaul for their first uh, for their first game, and that actually uh, takes place later today as we're recording this. That's a that's a game on Wednesday. Uh, if they win that game, they move on to play Villanova. Obviously, if they beat Villanova, this team's going dancing, and it feels pretty safe uh, right now as we sit here on Wednesday. This team, Eamon. As long as they take care of business against DePaul, uh, a team that you and I both like to uh, see do well since we both used to live in the DePaul area. Um, But uh, if Xavier can take care of DePaul, nothing to worry about on Selection Sunday? Yeah, uh, no, I don't think so. I think Xavier will will get in. I want to take a moment and just pour one out for DePaul because I went back and looked uh, earlier this week at the first edition of of this year's Bubble Watch back when DePaul was like 12-3. and Yeah. Uh, and beat had Texas beaten Tech. Texas Tech at home and beat <laughs> Iowa at Iowa and was like, wow, DePaul, all right, get in. Like, let's go. And, uh, yeah, I, have they won, what, two, three games since then? Um, so that fell apart, apart quickly. But now Xavier is like a Indiana to me in that, um, although they have five road wins, so they don't have that sort of core weakness. They don't have as many good wins on their, on their resume as Indiana. But in terms of – most of your losses being in quad one, pick up a couple decent wins along the way, particularly the Seton Hall win. Pretty clean resume otherwise. No bad losses really at Wake Forest. Eh, you know, it's quad two. It's not great, but it's not the end of the world. Good strength of schedule. I think Xavier is is fairly safe already, I think. Um, but, you know, the, losing to DePaul would be bad. Wouldn't be... Would it be disqualifying? I don't know. I think they'd still maybe get in the tournament. They, may, they might be in the first four. Um, I'm a little bit higher on on where they are right now than 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 some folks, but I I do think that you know as long as they de- beat the Paul, I feel like they're really safe. Yeah, Brian, why do you take that angle? Would it be disqualifying if they lost to the Paul? Again, it depends on what teams below them do, but it it could be. I mean, they're only. Three and eleven in quad one. I mean, it's not like they've racked up a bunch of good wins. You know, they did win at Seton Hall, and that's great. Uh, but their other two quad one wins are Georgetown and St. John's. So I mean, it's not like they've beaten uh, a ton of great teams here. You know, they, they beat Providence at home. Uh, but you know, there's just not a lot of wins over tournament teams here. Uh, so I, I don't know. If they can feel super safe. Um, I do think if they beat DePaul, they're, they're probably going to be in. Uh, but I do have them in the first four right now, and that may be their fate. And, uh, boy, the Dayton fans would love to see Xavier come come to town. <laughs> They'll be booing them uh, every time they touch the ball. Real quick, this might be a blind spot of mine that I'm just – that we've talked about in the past. It was like I don't mind when teams have a lot of good losses for whatever reason. Um it feels like not that big of a deal to me, but I think Brian is probably more right in, in the way we've talked about before is like the committee kind of doesn't love that. 
you know, if you've got like, if, again, three and 11 against quad one, to me, it's like, well, you played a lot of, you're a pretty decent team who played a lot of good teams. And now I mean, you're just not good enough to beat them. But I guess for the committee, that's probably a different calculus and something I need to think about moving forward. I'll just have a moment to myself now. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like an Indiana grad getting himself ready to back Purdue as a, as a tournament team. Um, yeah, uh, well, we'll think about it. <laughs> the weirdest thing about Xavier is all three of their quad one wins were away from home, and they're 0-5 in quad one at home. That's that's hard to do. Yeah, it is hard to do. Maybe it bodes well for uh, for playing these neutral floor games, and of course they could remove any doubt by beating Villanova on Thursday, although it sounds like a win over DePaul takes care of business for the Musketeers. Uh, we talked about the UCLA-Stanford potential matchup from Stanford's point of view. they got to get by Cal first. I think we can assume they do that. Uh, if they do that, I mean, which team which team needs that game more if if Stanford and UCLA meet one another? Do they need it equally? I mean, I think we, we can say that the winner of Stanford and UCLA, assuming that game happens, is in. Does the loser have a sick feeling for 48 hours until the committee reveals uh, the, the bracket? Eamon, we'll start with you here. Yeah, probably. I mean, I think both teams are on the cut line. I think we're going to get into this territory now where Brian and I are both saying, well, it kind of depends what else happens. You know, if Xavier loses to DePaul, then maybe it doesn't matter. Maybe, you know, maybe Stanford and Cal can both get in the tournament. Um, maybe Indiana loses to Nebraska, you know, that that whole thing. But yeah, I think that's probably the way, the right way to read it in that um, I don't think either team needs it more necessarily I think both are just right there and in the in the sort of position where a loss can a loss can knock you down just incrementally enough so that you're outside the cut line and um, you know the team maybe that you lose to moves up just enough to get in the field it's that it's that close for I think both of those teams neither bo- both resumes are interesting obviously UCLA is interesting but neither is so strong in any particular way that I have strong feelings about it. I think if, if that was a bubble playing game and the committee literally came out and said that like, Hey, the winner of this game gets in, I wouldn't have a problem with it. Yeah. And uh, first of all, I'm not going to ever assume anything in a Stanford cow game. <laughs> Stanford <laughs> did lose to cow earlier this year. It's a big, big rivalry, but uh, yeah, I, if it's more important for one team, I, I would say it might actually be more important for Stanford. Just even though they're 46 spots higher in net, uh, they just don't have as many good wins. UCLA, obviously, uh, finished uh, right at the top of the conference where Stanford was mediocre uh, in the middle. So, uh, yeah, two weird teams. Uh, let's play this game in Dayton and be done with it. There you go. Well, another game that maybe we could uh, we could see happen if, uh, if the bracketing principles would allow it. Uh, Cincinnati and Wichita State. Uh, these are two teams, again, you have as two of your last four in, Brian. Uh, and they are on a, a collision course. Assuming they both take care of business, uh, they would play one another on Saturday in the American Semi. Cincinnati needs to beat the uh, UCF-USF winner first. Wichita needs to beat the UConn-Tulane winner first. Uh, Obviously, both those teams would be in trouble if they don't get to that point on Saturday. So for the sake of this conversation, let's assume they do get to that point Saturday. Winner, certainly, I would say, is in. Is the loser loser out? I mean, the loser is definitely not going to be feeling comfortable for 24 hours. But is the loser out? In that situation, uh, Brian, you take this one first. Well, I think the loser of that game would be right on the edge, right? It would just it would just depend on what happens with NC State and Texas and Richmond and that sort of thing. Um, you know, especially if you're Cincinnati, uh, where you've already got four quad three losses and only two quad one wins. Um, they're a team that I think is, is right on the cut line to begin with, and Wichita is not not in a lot better shape. So uh, certainly, uh, this uh, in my view could be a playing game. Um, 
and probably should be, uh, especially I think the, the AAC has been, been fairly mediocre, if not weak this year. So, um, yeah, the loser of that game could well be out of the field. Yeah, I don't disagree with that either in practice or in principle. I think um, if I was Wichita State, I would be very concerned about having to play UConn um, first. Yes. That that would be the scary part to me as opposed to, you know, I mean, it's all scary because they may not get in the tournament and maybe a loss to, you know, a win over UConn and then a loss to Cincinnati doesn't get him in the tournament. I don't know. You know, I don't know. Um, we'll see how things shake out elsewhere on the bubble, but. The big, the big thing to me is is playing UConn. Honestly, on Friday, I feel like UConn is better than they look in terms of what level of loss that would be for Wichita State, mm-hmm. which is a bad position to be in because the committee doesn't always have time to take that stuff into account. Like, oh, actually, UConn's playing really well these days, and they just lost a bunch of close and overtime. Get, you know, that's not stuff that always crosses their uh, that they have the bandwidth to process necessarily in the two days when they're putting the bracket together. So. That would be the scariest part to me if I was Wichita State is, is playing that UConn team at this point in the season. Yeah, and that's especially true when the committee is looking for just as many reasons to cut teams as it is to get teams into the field. So definitely a landmine sort of game for uh, Wichita State, assuming UConn can take care of business of Tulane on Thursday. Uh, the next three teams are all those teams that we talked about as the first three teams out, NC State, Texas, and Richmond. So I think we can you know, assume, at least for NC State, we can start with them. Um, you know, They play Pitt today. If they lose that game, they're probably not making the tournament. So let's look ahead. Let's assume they get that game, and it's a game that they should get if they're a tournament team. Thursday, they play Duke, and their win over Duke is what really put this team on the map uh, about a month or so ago. Do they need that Duke game to get in? And if they get that Duke game, do they bully their way past one of these teams? Like, uh, could they could they move past a, a Stanford or a Wichita State if they get that Duke game, even if that other team takes care of what it's supposed to take care of? Uh, Eamon, why don't you take this one? Yeah, I mean, I think if they beat Duke, they're, they're going to get into the tournament. I think if they don't, it's anyone's guess. Um, I think they probably wouldn't get into the tournament. So they're in the unenviable position, although it's no one's fault but their own, of having gotten to the point where they, they probably need to beat Duke for a second time this season to get into the NCAA tournament. And that's just kind of how things work out. Sometimes you see it on the bubble. Not infrequently is these teams that are inconsistent and um, have at, at various points a platform to go on and and get into the tournament, uh, squander it, and then they find themselves in the, in the conference tournament. And imagine being a fan of the Wolfpack where – if you want to go to the NCAA tournament this year, your best bet is to beat Duke um, for the second time on a neutral floor this time. It's a big, it's a big, big ask, and I don't know that NC State they're capable of beating Duke, but I don't know that they're capable of doing it for for a second time this season. And it's hard for me to imagine how they get into the field without it. Well, yeah, and to answer your earlier question, Michael, if they if they do beat Duke. I think you could see them move out of that first four spot even into maybe an 11 seed or you know mm-hmm. maybe a 10. That's probably a bit much, but they'd have two wins over Duke, a win over Wisconsin. Sorry, Michael, and a win over Virginia. So that those would be you know as good a wins as any any bubble team has. I, I think so. I think that would that that's how huge this is. You may go from out of the field to to maybe like an 11 seed. And just for the record, that's the pre Micah Potter. Wisconsin. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, and NC State has benefited as much as anyone from the teams that they beat earlier in the year getting a lot better in January, especially February. Like when they won at Virginia, Virginia was not very good at basketball. And again, as you just mentioned, when they beat Wisconsin, Wisconsin was sort of like, you know, 
a lot closer to 500, looking like yes. they were headed down the Purdue, the dark Purdue timeline. <laughs> so um, it's a very different resume even now, and NC State hasn't had to do that much to improve it for those games to get better. But it's still one with you know a lot of mediocre metrics in a lot of different places on the team sheet, plus two quad three losses. Like I do think, weirdly enough, they are in a position where they have to beat Duke, and they're not going to get in the NCAA tournament. Well, Texas has got to find itself in the pretty much the same position, right? They, they definitely have to beat Texas Tech. I think we can agree that if they lose that game to Texas Tech, that they're not going dancing. The interesting discussion is if they win that game against Texas Tech, are they then for sure in? Like, if, if Texas beats Texas Tech, are they ahead of the Cincinnati, the theoretical Cincinnati-Wichita State winner? Is that what we're thinking about this team, or do they need to do even more beyond that to get into the tournament? Uh, Eamon, why don't you take this one first? I don't know. Texas is a weird one for me. I mean, would they be ahead of? I would probably have them. Yeah, if they beat Texas Tech. Although we we spent a, a few minutes earlier in the podcast talking about how you know everyone's mileage with Texas Tech will vary, but I think if they beat Texas Tech and you sort of look at what they'd have left in the Big Twelve tournament, I would feel. I'll put it this way: I'd feel really bullish about them getting in the NCAA tournament one way or the other. Um, again, with Texas's resume. They went away for a while because they looked like they were just going to kind of ride the season out and be bad. Um, and, and getting it together down the stretch has sort of put their resume in a whole new light where you compare them to a team like Xavier. Xavier has better numbers on the top line, obviously. Xavier's net is like in the mid-40s and Texas is in the high 60s. Uh, Texas's strength of schedule is nowhere near as good as Xavier's. But in terms of wins, they're, they won at Texas Tech, won at Purdue, which net-wise is still a really good win even if Purdue's not going to get in the tournament. Um, they beat West Virginia. These are almost on a par, if not a little bit better than what Xavier has. And they're only, you know, they're, they're only losses outside of quad one or in quad two. Um, so Texas's resume has all, has kind of snuck up on me. I think if they, you sort of step back and take a look at it. And I've had to do that a couple times now. Um, you know, if not for that loss at Oklahoma state, I'd, I'd be feeling really good about Texas getting in the tournament. So yeah, I think if they beat Texas tech, they're in good shape, and then you look down the, the rest of the bracket at the Big Twelve, and and I again I would be I would be bullish on them getting in, no pun intended. Well, I'm I'm just glad Eamon went first because Texas is confounding. What a what a weird team. <laughs> uh, you know, yeah, I agree with everything you said. I, I would just point out uh, that their metrics are just not very good. 69th in net, yeah. 48th KPI, 70th in BPI, 61st in Kempom, 48th in Sagarin. So those those are working against Texas. Uh, certainly those would probably improve uh, if they beat Texas Tech, but uh, it's going to be right on the edge. I, I don't know. I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> That's the beauty of championship week. Sometimes we just have no idea. Of, a couple teams I just want to get through uh, uh, quickly here. Richmond, um, are, they get Davidson LaSalle, uh, the winner of that game. They get that team on Friday. Uh, and then uh, a potential matchup with Rhode Island on Saturday. Um, they need that Rhode Island game. Uh, is that how we're feeling? Like, like not only do they need to win that game, but they need that game to be Rhode Island, right? If if Rhode Island somehow gets upset along the way, that's probably bad for Richmond, isn't it? Uh, possibly. I, then again, if if they get, as I said, if they get to the title game, and granted, maybe that doesn't help their, you know, their quad one two numbers. But if they get to the title game, they have twenty six wins, uh, you know, sixteen conference wins, and. and yeah, they lose to Dayton again. Uh, well, okay, Dayton's the number one seed, so you lost to Dayton twice. Big deal. And the first time you lost to him, you didn't have your leading scorer. That's going to be a hard team to leave out. I just don't know how you leave that team out. A, a top 40 net, 26 wins, uh, the second best team in a really good conference. 
uh, where you only finish behind a team that's a number one seed. I, I think Richmond is in if they get to the Atlantic 10 title game. All right, Eamon, I'm going to ask you to jump in here on Arkansas. They've got Vanderbilt, as we said, uh, in their first uh, SEC tournament game. That's on Thursday. They win that. They get South Carolina on Friday. Neither of those games are going to do anything for their resume. Then they get LSU on Saturday. Uh, so let's take it all the way forward. They win all those three games. They go to the SEC tournament, uh, or they go to the SEC championship, excuse me. Um, do they need that one also? I mean, is this a team that, because of what's ahead of it in the SEC tournament, is looking at AQ or nothing? Yeah, this is the this is why Arkansas is a good example of why you don't want to leave yourself to the conference tournament to try and make a last ditch bubble push because a nothing is guaranteed and upsets can mean that you just don't get opportunities. And this year's SEC, that is a total possibility. Um, and you know, they I do think they need they need the the game against LSU because. As you mentioned, you know, Vandy's obviously not going to do anything for you. If anything, beating them, you know, is like somehow drags you down by association. And mm-hmm. South Carolina is just South Carolina. There are still some South Carolina um, fans out there still on their uh, Gamecocks Island battling on long after the battle has been lost. You know, we're going to need to send some some um, local dignitaries out to relieve them of their posts. Like South Carolina is not going to the NCAA tournament, you guys. Um Unless they, you know, unless they win the, the SEC tournament, but um, yeah, I think Arkansas, you know, they've they've left it now, and, and injuries played a, played a factor, but they've left it now to the point where they probably have to beat LSU all the way on Saturday. If they hope LSU's there, and then at that point, you might as well just try and win the SEC title game anyway. It's only another forty minutes of basketball, and you've come so far already. So, yeah, it's a big, big ask for Arkansas, as we, as we mentioned already. All right, Brian, I'm going to ask you to wrap this pod up with a Big Ten team, of course, that being Purdue. Uh, We've talked about this team a whole lot in this show, uh, and they have the dream opportunity, right? If you're a bubble team, you can only ask for what Purdue has because their first game of the Big Ten tournament on Friday, they play Ohio State. They win that. They move on to play Michigan State. They get this uh, with in their home state in Indianapolis. So neutral court uh, credit from the selection committee, uh, even though maybe it won't be such neutral floors in terms of the uh, the fan base that's there. If they win those games, they beat Ohio State, they beat Michigan State, two huge wins, two quad one wins, and then lose in the Big Ten tournament game. Can they get an at-large bid, or is this still we got to win this whole thing to get in? Well, they'd have another game after that, right? They could beat Ohio State, beat Michigan State, and then they'd play. Right, right. I'm saying if they beat Ohio State, beat Michigan State, and then lose in the Big Ten championship game to well, no, they'd have Wisconsin, a semifinal. Illinois, Iowa. They'd still have a semifinal. This is a big big old conference, right? Don't they have to play? Am I, miss, am I missing a game? I think so. They they have to play Ohio State. Up the Big Ten. Then they go to Michigan State, and then you get the Maryland. Penn oh State, right, and Indiana. then they've got the Maryland. Yes, my bad. So let's say so. Can they can they do that, or do they need to then beat Maryland also? I think they're going to need to win three. In. I think they're going to need to win three three in a row. That would give them seven quad one wins, and they would let's assume they lose the Big Ten title game, or else we wouldn't be talking about them here. But that would right. be nineteen and sixteen, seven quad one wins probably a top 30 net i think they're in um you know i had to be airlifted off boilermakers island uh myself uh, when they <laughs> lost to Rutgers. um and you know they're gonna end up with 16 losses if they're gonna be in this discussion uh, i think the only way to counter that is to get to about 19 wins and to get three big time wins this weekend all right so there's your charge boilermakers beat ohio state beat michigan state beat Maryland, and then we can talk about you on Selection Sunday. That's going to do it for us here in this episode of Bracket Madness. Uh, Eamon, 
Thanks for joining us so much over the last few weeks. Uh, it's added a whole lot. We've been able to do some extra shows with you talking about the bubble, focusing on the bubble. It's been great in the run-up to Selection Sunday. So thanks for uh, thanks for being here these last few weeks with us. Absolutely. It's been my pleasure. And uh, let's have a great week and enjoy the, the end of Bubble Watch and Bracket Watch and the start of, you know, the actual fun stuff the start of the actual fun stuff indeed you can follow Eamon on twitter at Eamon brennan you can get me at m beller and brian at g brian bennett brian and i will be back with you for one more episode before selection sunday that will come your way on friday be sure to check out the athletic.com slash bracket madness to get yourself 40 percent off an annual subscription to the athletic until friday brian i will talk to you then you gonna be ready for it I think I'll still be alive. Um, won't have much sleep, but, uh, you know, that's how it goes. That's championship week for you. Brian and I will be back with you on a Friday. Enjoy all the great conference tournament action between then and now. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you then. Cheers. Cheers.